0: Hi, I'm your host, Josh Wagila
1: And I'm Mary Weller, and this is the Truth Exchange Podcast.
0: The unique program where we have conversations about worldview all through the lens of one and twoism. This lens is based on Romans 1.25. We've exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve creation rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Mary, so we are going to pick up where we left off last yeah. week. We had one more book that we didn't get to, and then we're going to transition into something a bit more I don't want to say technical but it's certainly more heavier and weightier uh, and yeah. its implications for parents and grandparents and of course children right um and that's the issue of and I think you put it this way as transitioning schools yes okay yes so let's get uh to the last book and okay. I'm, I'm pulling up my notes here it's from the stars in the sky to the fish in the sea is that right yes
1: from the okay. stars in the sky to the fish in the sea <clears throat> another beautiful book um, it is
0: yeah it is it really yeah. i mean it's the the art in it is just very well done and and then of course the storytelling and uh and how it breaks down some of these issues of course it's causing massive confusion i think to its yeah. readers uh targeted towards cha- uh to children and parents
1: yeah that's something that struck me, Joshua, as we've been reading through these books and talking through them, um, and I, was, I always wonder what like my kids' friends think when they come to our house and they see like all these books all over the place, but uh, is that <laughs> it's amazing to me how these beautifully constructed, beautifully illustrated books can say so much so powerfully with so few words because they really are aimed at the youngest among us. So we had talked last week uh, as we were beginning to go through these books, but I think that it it bears repeating that these books that we're going through, they're not just these fringe one-off books that kids are never really going to run across. Um, So just to remind our listeners, the reason that I found these books was because there was a group or is a group, they're still active, called Gender Nation. Gender Nation represents just one nonprofit amongst many uh, that's founded and run by two moms up in Los Angeles, both um, involved in media, who allow people to nominate school districts uh, that then they crowdfund. Um, they, they have a great uh, fundraising arm that they use on their website. And so when I discovered this, they had just donated 2000 school books or children's books to the San Diego Unified School District. And I saw a news story about it. Do and they so have a two- list?
0: Do they have a list of the school districts that they have contributed to? Yes,
1: yes, they okay. do. And so San Diego Unified is the one that caught my attention because we live in uh, the, the north part of San Diego. It's a very large school district. Um, And right before we started recording last week, I went and checked again, and the most recent school district that they have donated books to is LA Unified, which is the second largest school district in the nation, I want to say. I know the school district in New York City represents about a million students, but just to give you an idea, in LA Unified, there's a Approximately like 660, 670 schools, K through six or K through eight. And they had um, gotten crowdsource funding and grants from companies like Target is a big favorite of theirs, Starbucks is a big favorite of theirs. They got grants to pay for books, and they had gotten books into I think 646. That's the number that sticks in my head of these schools. So if you think about the size of a school in Southern California, you're talking like 500 to a thousand students per school. You multiply that by 600 schools. These books are all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, um, the ones that we're going to be going through, well, that we went through last week. And then the one that I'm going through this week, it's aimed at this one, I would say probably like a first grade level Um, But certainly this is something that would catch the attention of even a preschooler because the pictures are so beautiful. I really want people to understand. Oh, go ahead.
0: I was just going to I'm on their website right now, and it says libraries are sanctuaries, but they often don't have the resources they need to serve all children equally. We started Gender Nation to help provide school libraries with LGBTQ plus affirming literature. Our supporters make this possible by helping to curate, purchase, and distribute books at no cost to those we serve. I that that first line to me is is somewhat it makes me angry, and then at the same time same time it terrifies me. Libraries right. are sanctuaries. Right. I think of my home as a sanctuary.
1: Yeah, but you know it's interesting because um, <clears throat> you know this, but the listeners don't. You know, my dad was a school librarian, and he. I remember Joshua, even in the late 80s, early 90s, my dad was specifically concerned about books from Scholastic because as he went in, and I mean, this man, you knew my father, um, I'm completely biased, but he was wonderful, <laughs> you know, and he loved literature. I grew up in a home that didn't have TV until late in grade school. Um, and then we only had two channels till I was in like junior high and he read to us every night. He read us Aesop's fables. He read us Mark Twain. I was 10 the first time that he read us Jane Eyre. And I begged him to read us Jane Eyre because I liked the cover of the book. And so I'm very aware of the impact of story on children. You know, Um, I'm someone who grew up. um, And I still to this day, I can get lost in a book. Um, And as a librarian my dad was very careful about what he allowed into the school library and it wasn't that he was looking to propagandize students from his perspective but he wanted to make sure that he was only bringing in school books that um that were truthful and that were not propagandistic and he was already seeing that come in in the uh in the 90s when i was in high school and he was our school librarian so sorry for all the times that I got swept on detention sweeps for being tardy into the library, dad, but, um, (laughs) you know, so that word sanctuary, it's like they really do recognize that they are the gatekeepers of information that, uh, students are looking for. Um, and, you know, I pick up some of my honorary nieces and nephews from school and two of them are their kindergartners who are twins. And man, library day, they climb into my car. They're like, we got books. They're so excited that they have these stories that they're going to take home and read. They talk about going and getting um, books off the shelf during free reading time. You know, my daughter always loved that too when she was in younger elementary school. So these books are going into the libraries. Um, And they're also going into classrooms. And so they can be used for classroom reading time. If a teacher should choose to read these books to the students, parents wouldn't necessarily know. The students can get these books off the shelves. And, you know, they're, like I said, they're being donated by the thousands. So um, when I first heard this news story, uh, I brought it up on one of our team calls, and Dr. Jones, (laughs) send me a box of ten children's books based off of this this uh, gender nation's wish list. So we are talking about books that are actively out there. And just off the top of my head, so it's LA Unified, San Diego Unified. I think Poway, but I'd have to double check on my uh, statistics there. Rancho Santa Fe, very very wealthy school district, not a school district that's in a lot of need, but they just did a shipment to Rancho Santa Fe. So. They're really covering their bases in California and as I said this is a nationwide program and there are others like it. So from the stars to the sky to the fish in the sea is um and Joshua you're going to be able to put up pictures so as as we're going through the book um our listeners who are watching on video will be able to see it's a beautiful beautifully illustrated book and the premise of the story is that there is a little child who is born And when the baby's born, you're told right on the first page of the book that they were born when both the moon and the sun were in the sky. So the baby couldn't decide what to be. So immediately we have these gender neutral words that are being used to describe this child. And we are also presented with the idea that when a baby is born, a baby chooses what they're going to be. And some of them don't know. And it goes on to say, were they a boy or a girl, a bird or a fish, a cat or a rabbit, a tree or a star? So the baby looked a little like everything. They looked very strange. And um, it goes on to build an understanding for the kids of the very close relationship that this child has with their mother. And so on the next page, um, we learned that the mother named the child Mulan and we see the child swaddled but the child swaddled not in blankets it has like funny ears and a fish tail and even the swaddling looks very animal mom says your name is Mulan and she sings a song that her own mother had sung to her long ago
0: do you know what Mulan means
1: I don't I'm gonna look that up real quick yeah I love that you even thought to ask that but I don't know what that means but I just want to bring up Um, Right immediately that there are some choices that the child is presented as making. So is the child a boy or a girl, a bird or a fish, a cat or a rabbit, a tree or a star? So we know the child is human. And um, (laughs) Joshua, we talked previously about, um, you know, I was this very imaginative kid. And so when I was in school, I spent a lot of time pretending I was a horse. (laughs) (laughs) And my friend Jennifer and I, you know, we spent all this time out on the backfield at school galloping around and my name was silver and I was a horse, but it's just really interesting to me that all of these ideas are presented as equally large for the child to make is the child a boy or a girl, not only is that is the child really human. So there are these fantastical things mixed in with these very realistic things where if you're a mother who has a baby, yes, your baby may grow into a strange child like me, uh, who pretends she's a horse, but there, there are these categories of what is real, you know, so I knew I was pretending. And even though my pretending could be so strong, that I kind of got lost in these games that I would play, I knew that it was a game. And It's very interesting to me how artfully this idea, too, of the boy or the girl, it seems equally fantastical as being a star or being a tree or being a fish or being a cat. Um, But in reality, those aren't choices that we make, right? Right. And these
0: these are also things that man was set up to be over. Yes. And that's the, and I, as I look at these really pretty pictures, and I'm just thinking of this mom swaddling a baby, I think of my wife, Lael, swaddling our baby Enoch and thing. And I think, wait a minute here, this baby is very much associated with animal characteristics, traits. And I just think this is so backwards.
1: Yeah. And, and even animals are gendered, right? So it's like, even if Yulon decides that they're a bird. Birds are very obviously gendered. I mean, birds especially, right? You know, the males tend to have really dramatic foliage or foliage um, feathers. Um, and, And so it just sets up all of this confusion right at the beginning of the story. And Fantasy books are fine. We can learn things from fantasy. Um, you know, we talked about the sneches the other day. And obviously, like we can take truth and learn truth from fantastical characters, but there's an additional layer of confusion that's going on. So even in the sneches, mm-hmm. those with the stars and those without, a child is not presented with, Well, am am I a sneech? No, you you take this idea of are we judging people just by you know, marks on their, you know, the the clothes that they wear, marks on their body, no, we look at their character and everyone has equal value, but there's an additional layer of confusion that gets set up right at the beginning of this book, and, um, you know, we we could run the risk of sounding super nitpicky, but when you look at the context in which these books are being presented to children, they are being presented to children to teach them truths about themselves, and that's why, this chaos of all these questions that Mulan is trying to decide through, even as a baby, um, it creates confusion, not clarity for kids. So so mom is rocking Mulan, and this is when we're first introduced to this, um, again, beautiful song uh, that Mulan's mom sings to Mulan which is whatever you dream of, I believe you can be from the stars in the sky to the fish in the sea. You can crawl like a crab or with feathers fly high and I'll always be here. I'll be near standing by and you know that I'll love you till the day that I die. So again, outside of the context of confusion being set up for kids, a mother does allow her child to have fantasies. A mother does allow a child to engage in imaginative play, but it's, play and here um, in this story what we find is that that the mom is allowing Mulan to exist in a in an amount of mental and emotional and kind of existential chaos that really starts to create problems for Mulan so we learn um as we go through the story that Mulan grew up to be a strange magical child who was always changing Um, you know and and there are these adorable pictures of Mulan galloping around with ram's horns and flying through the sky with antlers and swimming as a fish through the sea. Um, And no matter how many things Mulan became, their mother always brought them back into the little blue house, gave them a bath and tucked them into bed at the day's end. And the stars rose and she sang and it repeats this song of whatever you decide to be, you can be. Um, and it no reminds what, me. It
0: I'll reminds me of um, the song "The Majesty and Glory of Your Name." Oh, which is uh, based on Psalm eight. Uh huh. And it's a beautiful choir piece, and 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 the the there's one line that just strikes me: the the birds of the air the fish of the sea. And then there's just this really low bass note. I mean, it just gives you chills when you hear it. Yeah. And it's just, but what is man that you are mindful of him? Yes. And this is, this is book is such a perversion of that. Oh, so sad. It's,
1: It's really, you know, coming at it from the truth exchange perspective, right. Which is a biblical perspective. Uh, yeah, we were made in the image of God, male and female. There's Mm. a nobility that we are given. And even within um, the creation story, um, you know, we're given care over these creatures and we are equipped to care over these creatures because we're made in the image of God. So we have abilities, nobility, authority um, to care for and steward the other creations in the earth that are not very good. God says everything that he created is good, but when he creates man, man is very good. And, and so there's that separation, that distinction, which is very twoist, right? So God creates by taking all of that chaos and, and creating distinctions between uh, the sky and the waters. And, you know, he, so this is a very oneist view of, of the world. Mm-hmm. And you see the confusion that Dr. Jones and others have talked about where if it's all just a dot in that one circle and there's no creator who's creating those distinctions, you lose order. And um, and what we find here uh, is that for Mulan, it does create chaos because Mulan has not, been informed of who Mulan is. Hmm. Um, and so even though mom is saying you can be all of these things and whatever you are, um, I'm going to love you. She doesn't inform Mulan about the things that she and her wisdom and experience knows. She's giving Mulan a bath. She knows whether Mulan is a boy or a girl. Uh, she knows that Mulan is is human Uh and so as Mulan plays and pretends rather than encouraging that playing and pretending but distinguishing between this is how we play and this is who you've been created to be she leaves Mulan in that chaos and it's done in the name of love But we're going to see in the story it causes Mulan some problems um so one day it's time for the child to go to school And we're told that they're very excited and they run off to school. And Milan's um, mother says, have fun. And Milan runs off dressed in a tiger suit and peacock feathers. And when they get to school, we're told the other students were either boys or girls. They had no feathers, no scales, no leaves, no fur, no fins, not even any sparkles. Um, And no one invited Milan to play. And it's really interesting the way that the boys and girls who are, they know that they're boys and girls, and they also know that they are human, apparently. They're drawn in this sort of boring manner. Um, so when you look at this page, you see that they're kind of plain, and, and they're even a little bit undefined um, in, in the way that they're painted um, into the pictures. And one little boy runs up to Milan and says, what are you supposed to be? And Mulan didn't know how to answer. So this is interesting, right? Mom, she knows she's mom and that she's she. um, And she's been blessed to to have the gift of this child. And so there are blessings even in her binary, right? The, The fact that she is distinctly female and mother. Um, but she's not used that gift or that blessing to inform Mulan about some of the very basic things that will help Mulan to exist in a world of biological reality. Mm. So Mulan doesn't know how to answer about what he is. He, or they <laughs> They are dressed as a tiger and a peacock. They're different from everybody else. Mulan doesn't seem to even know that Milan is human. I mean it's just he has no knowledge. He's been given no wisdom. Yeah. So when Milan comes home, um, his tail is dragging and he looks very sad. And mom asks if Milan made any friends and Milan says, not really. And that night Milan's mother tucks them into bed and sings this same song of whatever you are, I'm gonna love you. But there's no <laughs> Well, why didn't you make friends? You seem sad. what What happened at school, my my dear child, How can I lend my wisdom to this situation to help you? There's again, just this blanket of love, but i'm I'm using finger quotes there because it it stops seeming loving after a while. Like as you see this child progress through this confusion with no training up, no protection from the mother, by using her wisdom to train Mulan, uh, just telling them, I I love you no matter what you are, but but not helping Mulan kind of figure the world out. It's whimsical, but when you think about the implications of it, it's troubling to me. Uh, It seems unkind to treat a child this way. Uh, So the next day Mulan goes to school and wears spikes and shells and no one will talk to Mulan again. And mother asks, Did Milan make friends? And Milan says, Not really. And mom sings the song again, Whatever you dream of, I believe you can be. And Milan feels loved, but they also feel sad. Mom could help with some of this sadness, you know? Um, so then the next day, Milan doesn't wear any of the animal trappings, but Milan goes to school. Um, and Milan dresses as what I would say is a boy this time. Maybe Milan could be a tomboy, you know. Um, I've talked about my daughter Lily, you know, she's very feminine in some ways, but she has short hair. She loves to play sports, she likes to rabble rouse, you know, and play with her friends. So, but Milan is invited by the boys to play baseball. And no one's pointing, whispering, or laughing. But when Milan joins the little girls playing hopscotch, they say the boys don't play hopscotch. Um, are you a boy or a girl, anyway? asks another child, and and they start saying, "What are you supposed to be?" The kids are frustrated by this child who, you know, comes in and and they can't tell what this what this child is. Um. Now, why a boy wouldn't be allowed to play hopscotch? I'm not sure. I played hopscotch a ton when I wasn't a horse. It's very hard to play hopscotch as a horse. My kids but, play um,
0: hopscotch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there are these interesting, very strict binaries that get laid down. And so you have Mulan and all Mulan's confusion, but then you also have these kids that are existing in these very strict male, female roles, which we, we have acknowledged, and we will continue to acknowledge that there are some people whose genetics, cause confusion they're extremely rare but for the most part children are born male or female and so they are male or female but that then doesn't mean that they're not allowed to play baseball or to play hopscotch so it's there's this confusion that's presented and then, then there are these kind of false binaries that are laid down that really create problems for mulan And so several children yell at Mulan, what are you supposed to be? And Mulan, who had been dressed as a boy at this point, yells, I don't know. And he's shooting off sparks, shooting off feathers and just this torrent of tears um, come down and he gallops out of the playground. I too have galloped across playgrounds um, and gallops home. And the whole book turns black. And Mulan's mother scoops Mulan into her arms and asks, how was school? And there's just this torrent of tears. It's like this storm that turns into this whirlpool of sorrow and Mulan's mother is hugging Mulan. And Mulan expresses that I I wore feathers and stripes. I wore shells and spines and no one would talk to me. And I tried to just be like everyone else but I haven't made any friends and I can't decide what to be. Why do I have to be just one thing? And so now mom steps in and says, my child, I have all this knowledge to share with you. (laughs) She doesn't do that. So she's sympathetic. It's not always easy to be different from everyone else, but you can only be who you are. And Mulan says, what if the other children don't like who I am? So this is interesting, right, Joshua? Because There are some things that Mulan is, and there are some things that Mulan is not. This could be presented to Mulan. Mulan, you're a boy, but you could play hopscotch. Why don't you tell those girls that you can play and enjoy hopscotch? Um, You love to play that you are a turtle or different animals, and I love your imagination, but you are a human. And so we need to un- understand that this is pretend. You know, there's so many things that mom could lay out to help Mulan figure some of these things out as a mother or as a parent should. We're supposed to train our children up in the way that they should go. We're supposed to share our wisdom with them. But mom continues to withhold all of this information and just simply insist that she's going to love Mulan forever um and so Mulan feels loved they sleep really well that night and then they go to school fanciful and for whatever reason um the kids are very accepting this time of Mulan's fancifulness and uh they They, start they got
0: notified they were gonna get canceled is what happened (laughs) so they got their act together
1: (laughs) that's right mom called the school no um but you know, Mulan starts to find out that the kids were all just a little jealous of Mulan. And so they start to be, you know, more accepting of Mulan and they all start to sprout monkey tails and fish tails and, and wings. And everyone just kind of lives happily ever after. That's how this book is presented. And, you know, Mulan's mom tells Mulan, you are my child, courageous and free. Uh, anything that you want to be, you can be, and that's the end. Like Mulan sails off into the ether, and and that's the end of the book, you know. And um, again, I don't want to nitpick. And it's so fanciful and beautiful. And I guess it would, you know, if parents knew that their child were reading was reading this book, you know, they could say some of these things. I mean, I imagine myself reading this book to, to my children, and I I would have that instinct to clarify for the kids, you know, um, between imagination and and what we are and who we're created to be and the beauty of being human. Uh, that never seems to be presented in this book. Um, but this mom doesn't do that. And so I'd like to segue if it's okay, Joshua, from saying, you know, why do we care about this? Why do we care about this fanciful book uh, that might sow confusion for our kids? And I think the reason that we care is that they're being presented to these children in schools and our schools are being set up now to very quickly Take children who are confused about their gender and confused about their identity, and to funnel them in to affirmative care, unquestioning affirmative care in gender transition. If any of them should express that that they are confused about their gender, um, there's certainly and, a shift.
0: There's certainly a shift in the in the the school system that that says mom and dad are no longer adequate to to take on the role of educating their children. What was it, uh, uh, Democratic or Democrat possible governor or candidate who said- Karen that, Yeah, said parents, it's not their job to educate kids.
1: Right, right. Parents shouldn't get to choose what books are on the shelves. And yeah, so so that came out in a debate within the last couple of weeks um, where the conservative candidate whose name I, I don't know, um, but really said that, that he thought that parents should have a say in the raising of their children. And Terry McAuliffe's response was, no, I don't want parents telling schools what they can, can teach their kids. And it's really interesting because it's like, why do schools operate in such a way that they don't believe that parents are the first structure of authority in their children's lives? Um, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful. We, we are at a charter now. We've, we've run through the gamut but, uh, of different schooling options, but we're at a cha- charter where at assemblies and school meetings and communication to the parents, we are reminded over and over and over again that the school views itself as an assistant to the raising of our children, that we are the primary moral authorities in our children's lives. Um, but when you look at, I mean, you could take Terry McAuliffe and say, "Well, wait a second, guys, come on, Truth Exchange, <laughs> you're being overreact, you know, you're overreacting to this. this these are just a, a few um, fringe progressives who, you know, they they don't really have any bearing on how our schools run. Um, but this is all in a, a lead-in then to say, actually, no, a lot of educators. And a lot of schools, uh, they do not think that parents are the primary moral authorities and protection for their children. And so that leads me to the schools in transition documents that I've been reading through, Joshua. And um, I believe I sent you links to these PDFs. Okay. So, um, I'm going to focus mainly on the longer document, which is called "Schools in Transition: A Guide for Supporting Transgender Students in K through 12 Schools." So, to put that book in context, now you're you're taking kindergartners, uh, K through sixth grade. I, I can't imagine a sixth grader. I mean, this book really is aimed at. I, I don't think really any higher than maybe a third grade le- reading level. And but these schools.
0: And for listeners, it, this this program for schools in transition is this becoming is this an optional thing is this something that's happening by bill and then soon to be written into law like where is this uh is this coming down the pike you know we see it for sure in california it's 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 yeah. like it's clear it's right on your guys's doorsteps
1: yeah
0: but um, it, so, and, and so
1: yes and to that so this document so schools in transition um is uh, presented, it's been developed by the Human Rights Campaign, the ACLU, and the National Education Association. So they were all involved uh, with a couple of other groups in the uh, development of this document. And this document is meant to be a nationally available guideline um, for schools to use as they set up um, schools that are that are gender-affirming. Um, and so uh, yeah, this is this is used nationwide and actually even in Canada. Um, I know that there is mention uh, towards the end, I think it's of this document, or it might be the second document I have, the Model School District Policy on Transgender and Gender Nonconforming Students. Um, it's the model language commentary and resources that are supposed to be used by schools. Um, they have lists of links that you can get to through the PDF. And I think you had said that you could put these in the show notes for our listeners, correct, Joshua? So you can download these and see for yourself what we're talking about, but um, they have lists of states. And I wanna say it was like 15 or 20 states just highlighted, not an exhaustive list of states like California that use um, these documents to form their own policies within schools. So certainly in California, um, I don't know if you've been paying attention to this um, Loudon County story that just broke, Joshua, but there's been huge um, uproar in Ludon County in Virginia, right outside of D.C., of parents who have been so upset by the critical race theory um, and the transgender policies that uh, are being put in force there, and just recently, I mean, it's like, it's hard to even speak about some of these things, but it's come out that the school district in Ludon County was suppressing the story of a freshman girl um, who was uh, allegedly raped um, by a boy wearing a skirt who was allowed into the women's restroom because they have an open bathroom policy. So you can use, you can use whatever restroom you identify with. Um, And as they were trying to put this policy in place and voting on it, uh, the father of this girl came to try to speak out about what had happened to his daughter. Uh, He ended up getting arrested and they passed the policy anyway. And this student, um, this boy who raped her then assaulted another girl at another school because he's been allowed into the safe spaces of women, uh, based on these policies so that's one horrifying story out of the headlines but it's representative of a lot of stories like this that are being that are being squashed. Um, and I would say having read through this, this is a direct result of these policies that are being put in in place in so many of our public and some private schools also if they're progressive schools. So, um. The Schools in Transition document opens with a letter from a, um, a school superintendent who tells the story of um, being surprised when uh, years ago uh, parents came to school with a kindergartner who had been, uh, who was, well, as they say, assigned male at birth. Um, but this student, Tony, um, had decided with Tony that Tony was actually a girl. And so they approached the superintendent about how to allow Tony to exist as a girl in the school, even though Tony was biologically a boy. And, you know, it's really interesting, Joshua. So again, it's really important, I think, at the beginning of documents like this to pay attention to the language that's being used, because there's a lot, there's sort of like ground rules that get set down, right? So the, the foundation of what we acknowledge as we assent to the policies that are set forward in this document. So there's a lot of um language about students being allowed to um rather than being marginalized being allowed to exist as their true selves or their authentic selves. Okay? So you already have this conflict in the very first paragraph of this letter from the superintendent because this child was born as a biological male. But if this child is going to be allowed to live as their authentic or true self, it seems that what we're being told, you know, if we're educators reading this document, is that the child's authentic or true self is not informed in any way by the child's biology. And um, thank you, Dr. Jones, because I immediately go to, well, this is Gnosticism, right? This is a form of Gnosticism in that are our bodies part of the reality of who we are or can we exist a com- completely apart from our biology uh, as whatever we choose to be which begs the question from Yulan so then why do I have to be human right and people joke about this that there are people who, uh, you know, are, are wanting to cross all of these boundaries, but, and we're thinking of them as super fringe right now, but more and more, uh, you know, why can't someone be transracial? Why can't someone be transhuman? Why can't someone, you know, there, there are people who identify as quadriplegics and would like to ask the medical establishment to sever their spinal cord. I know that sounds crazy, but these things actually do happen. If you're an anorexic and you are in a body that is thin by medical standards, why do we tell that person, no, you're not obese. You don't need to diet. Their body is informing something about the reality of who they are. And when they get separated from that, it's a problem. It's a medical problem. It can do them real damage. But for some reason, we want to separate off gender and say, our biology has no bearing on who we are here. So your authentic self is who you believe yourself to be and you cannot be misinformed about it, right? So that's a lot of information for one paragraph, but this is immediately <laughs> the foundation that we're, we're presented with. And <clears throat> so the superintendent, she goes through to talk about how she wants every child to feel welcomed and valued. She wants children to be able to live, live authentically and that she had to kind of make up this policy with the parents as she went along. Um, and yet she contradicts herself almost immediately because she goes on to say that, you know, they, they went through to affirm this child's identity as a girl um, and Tony had a right to privacy. Um, they had to meet with parents who were concerned. so. There is an inequality that gets set up right away here where this gender non conforming student's feelings and thoughts about himself, believing that he's a girl, that immediately has a hierarchy over gender conforming students and parents who have discomfort with with what's going on. You know, so imagine yourself being a mother of a little girl who's concerned about a biological little boy coming into the bathroom or coming into the locker room to change, they must subordinate their feelings to those of this marginalized child. Um, So I don't know that the superintendent really was encouraging all of the students to live their authentic selves, right? Right. Um, and to be equally valued. And she goes on to say that there were people who struggled with changes that we put in place, but we continually focused on supporting Tony and doing what was right. And that language, that's, that's an absolute morality that just got laid down there. This superintendent had determined that allowing this child to live as a girl was the right thing to do and everybody else needs to get in line. Uh, And that immediately brings to mind for me, like judges, you know, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. There's Mm -hmm. this, the biological standard gets taken away and then there's this chaos, but there are people who will submit to this absolute morality that gets set down. Yeah. So um, the superintendent goes on to say that, you know, a couple of years later, they had another second grade student come in who was biologically male, identified as female And um, she talks about how, you know, as they implemented these policies in her school, which, you know, are being suggested to all other schools nationwide, um, that she found both girls, so these are boys identifying as girls, were courageous and wise beyond their years. She says, they've taught me and others valuable lessons about what it means to truly support your students. So, Again, so the, the wisdom of the children then is set over the wisdom of the adult, adults who are supposed to be helping these children learn to grow up and live in a world where there is biological reality, but this this gets turned on its head. So now the children are teaching wisdom to the elders. You know, this was my struggle with the Mulan book is that mother had wisdom that she could share she had knowledge that she could share with her child that she did not. And, um, you know, it's presented beautifully, but it creates chaos. Um, And so uh, the superintendent says, um, I encourage anyone looking to support a transgender student to always focus on the needs of the transitioning child and think about what they need to feel safe, included and supported. I never had a political agenda. My agenda was to push Support our students. I listened and tried to understand when I faced obstacles, but I worked to be an advocate, not an activist. She says that, but again, it's she looked to support the transgender students, right? What about the students that were struggling with this? What about the not the conforming students who had issues? Again, that gets turned on its head. There were no rights considered for these other children if they came. Into conflict with the transgender students, and um, <clears throat> the final part that she says uh, as she closes this introductory letter is: "It's important that you uh, that your own personal uncertainties do not interfere with your ability to do the right thing." Okay, that's a really important sentence that's being told to these educators. You set aside your own personal uncertainties so that they do not interfere with your ability to do the right thing. And my question is, who determines what's right here? Why why are those uncertainties? If you are a teacher or an administrator who thinks, gosh, I am concerned about how this is panning out. I am concerned about what we're doing with these children, you're you're told that the right thing to do is just to, to set those concerns aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's so much, Joshua, that we could go through in this document, but I I think what we really need to highlight, especially here, is the way that schools are told to think about parents. Um, so chapter five of this document, it's a long document, it's 60 pages long, but chapter five of this document uh, is focused Entirely on approaches to working with unsupportive parents or parents who disagree about the appropriate response to their child's expressed gender identity um, and special education that can be used to help transgender students. So, what you find as you read into chapter five is that <clears throat> parents are only allowed to be involved in the growth of their students in school and the development of their students in school if they support the predetermined gender policies of the school. So um, you're told right in the guiding principles of the document as they're leading towards all of this stuff that um, a couple of things. One is that there is no objection that can be made that is relevant at all. You are to ignore all objections no matter from whom they come. It doesn't matter if it's from parents. It doesn't matter if parents or objectors are bringing scientific data. Um, It doesn't matter what your worldview is. And they actually say expressly, the expression of transgender identity or any other form of gender expansive behavior is a healthy and appropriate and typical aspect of human development. Um, And they say that any attempt to help a child to behave in a way that is not consistent with their self-identification. So for anyone to say, Tommy, <laughs> um, you know, I, I know that you would like to be called Susie, but this might create some difficulties for you here. Can we make you comfortable in the body and the identity that you were born with? Um, that is unethical. So any attempt or request to have a student behave in any way beyond what they self-identify as, and let's remember we're talking about all the way as young as kindergarten, um, that those attempts are unethical and they will likely cause the student emotional harm. It is irrelevant whether a person's objection to a student's identity or expression is based on sincerely held religious beliefs, or the belief that the student lacks capacity or ability to assert their gender identity or expression due to age, developmental disability, or intellectual disability. So it does not matter how young they are, it does not matter how clearly confused they are, if they say that this is who they are, you will believe them and you will suborn all other ideas to that self-identification of the student. Um, Parents and caregivers, So the school is now telling parents and caregivers how they are to behave in this instance, must similarly continue to expand their understanding of the shifting concerns facing children as they get older. So parents don't get to shape this, they are shaped by it. And that is the only acceptable method by which um, parents get to be included in in the knowledge of their children. So what you find then, do you have any questions? Because I'm tearing through this
0: no 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 i you know i'm just thinking about you know that that there has got to be other things that uh game plays in play that are helping to to reinforce the molding of children's thinking outside of the education sphere and and i'm just imagining and i and i we talked about it what was it last week or uh that about like muppet babies and gonzo yeah. is 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 now queer or transgender yeah creature um blues clues with the, the blues, drag queen right, right. yeah yep. and so that there's got to be and and there is probably other things that we may not have are even aware of that right. are just waiting to to be pushed out there into into programming for children um and i think that's probably namely one of the biggest things out there is the programming of of television and movies and probably i imagine gaming i'm not much into games the video game worlds but um so i can't i cannot um speak to that but um but all this is is it's in the culture and it's creating and reinforcing it so that that parents get in line to to solidify this is a distortion it's a distorting what parents are supposed to do yeah right i mean what is the what is the biblical command the fifth commandment children obey your parents and the lord for this is right honor your father and mother for this is the first commandment with a promise the promise is what that it would go well with you, that you would, would live well long on the earth, so that children yeah. have this. The, the the children are supposed to be uh, molded by mom and dad, so that they would do well, so that they would yes. have a long live a long time on the world. And now parents are being told how to do it by the school education system, which is all being fueled by something demonic. <laughs> this is demonic.
1: It's it it. Uh, really, and honestly, Joshua, like I, I, you know, cause you talk to me, you know, I'm texting you and Layelle, um, when I'm reading through some of this stuff and I keep thinking like, all right, this is the end. Like no longer is this going to blow my hair up in the air. You know, when I run across this new thing, it, it, it's, it is so troubling. It is so wrong. And I, and I, I've brought this up before I talked about it in the previous lecture that I did for the conference, but what I have are the voices in the back of my head of these detransitioners whom I've listened to. And a lot of them, um, you know, they would disagree with me and my Christian worldview. They, I, you know, I, so I'm. I'm not trying to steal their stories. I'm just saying that there are, men and women out there who have had their bodies mutilated in the name of this ideology, who have recognized at the end of that, that what they had done was wrong, that someone with knowledge, someone with wisdom should have said something to them rather than just wholeheartedly pushing them along in this Figured out if there was trauma, figured out if there were mental health issues, figured out what was informing the sense of dysphoria, the sense of discomfort in their own bodies. And instead, they were just, yep, let's put you on the testosterone. Yep, double mastectomy. Yep, let's vaginoplasty, you know, like, and they are being damaged and there's a growing number of them. And for you to say anything about that, you know, you're told in this document and the other, um, the transgender equality school document, that's hateful for you to do. It's wrong for you to do. And they use, I've said it before, like they use these, um, hard and fast authoritatively moral terms. It's unethical for you to do that. We are going to do what's right. Um, it, it. It really, it makes me mad. <laughs> if I get too, you know, too far into it, it makes me mad. And you and I have both talked about, um, you know, I like I'm relieved sometimes that some of what I post on Twitter doesn't get a lot of coverage, because I'm a little scared because I know that if it really gets out there, um, people are gonna. Hate that, you know, and, and, you know, like I've, for other things that I've talked about, I've, I've had threats made to my safety for my stances on yoga of all things. But so I know that the possibility is out there, but what I find myself praying is Lord, like kill my fear. Let me trust that your truth is beautiful and good. And we have to speak this we have, this is the, this is a battle and we have to be brave and we have to speak the truth because people's lives are being ruined. You know, you hear them talk about suicidality and the emotional trauma of students. Well, studies show that the suicidality, uh, the highest rates are after medical transition has happened because now there they are, they've done all this damage to their bodies and they can't go back. And if they try to go back, they get piled on with hatred from people who then say that they are transphobes themselves for de transitioning. It's like people's lives, their hearts, their minds are being ruined by this. I'm sorry for the tear, but the reality of this is brutal. And we are doing brutal things to children in the name of an ideology. And it, you're right, it is demonic, it is evil. sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, back to my document. <laughs> so um, schools are told to consider uh, gender specifically in this way. It is a misconception to think that the body one is born with determines an individual's gender. So just right out flat, there is that Gnostic idea, again, Joshua, that your your body has no bearing on on reality. And then throughout this document, uh, educators are trained how to separate parents from their children as far as trust, development and relationship is concerned. Um, So the document tells schools that any decision to raise the topic with parents about a child who is expressing gender dysphoria Uh, must be made very carefully and in consultation with the student. So you're talking again about the fifth commandment, Joshua. Um, But here, the schools are being set up to ask the student whether mom and dad can know at home that the student is now going to be given a gender-confirming plan. So there are documents, there are entire sets of documents that are given in this um, in this PDF that schools can print, print out, and it's called a gender support plan. So when you have a child, and we've already gone over, a child even in kindergarten who approaches a teacher and says, I, Jane, would like to begin uh, being called John, um, the teacher's first move is not to notify the parents it is to start a gender support plan. And in that gender support plan, um, they are uh, even told to create two separate sets of documents. So there's the there are the internal documents where we'll use Jane and John, okay? So Jane comes in, she says, I identify as a boy and I would like to be called John now and I would like to be called he and him. The school will internally, change all the documentation that they use so that if a substitute teacher comes in and is reading off the roster, Jane does not get called Jane by mistake. Jane is called John, Um, referred to as he, him by everyone who's involved in this gender support plan. And then there's a separate set of documents so that if a teacher has to call home or email a parent, Jane is referred to as Jane and she and her. So that the parent is kept in the dark about what their child is going through at school. Okay. Is there, and, uh,
0: do you know of any, any cultures or any societies where they have actually been doing this for decades and it's actually done good for society?
1: I've never looked that up. Specifically. That's the
0: audacity of this whole thing to me is like, this is like a, yeah, we're going to try something where we're going to, we're going to train children to actually make believe. Yeah. Right. And, and to, we're yeah. like, we're just going to completely deny reality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's, it's, it's like, if an individual came to a child and said, let's make believe, you know, and whoever you want to be, you can be, and I'm going to call you a different name <clears throat> and, and we don't need to tell your mom and dad And this is just going to be our little secret. If that were on an individual level, we would say that as a predator, they are out to do something wrong, right? Like red flags all over the place. You think about stranger danger and, you know, so, but institutionally (laughs) we're going to feed kids All of this information about your body doesn't determine who you are. Your parents misunderstood. They're not trustworthy. We understand you better. You don't want us to tell mom and dad, okay, we won't. We're gonna set up this whole system of a false reality for you. And we laud this because it's institutional and people with PhDs have written these documents and we say, oh, it's just so grand. You know, This is gender affirmative and, and so inclusive. And don't talk about any of the problems um, it's predatory. It, it, it's just, it's systemic predation. Um, whew, I'm getting a little wrapped around the axle today. I'm sorry. I, it just, the implications of it are, are, are in, insane to me. Um, and it is, it's systematized deception. So, um, y- you see them go on to say that, um, students chose a name and gender, um, it should be used at school. Parents shouldn't be told unless the student gives them permission. Uh, they can enroll students into school counseling. Uh, so there are gender, there's gender affirmative counseling that can take place on campus uh, where a counselor is going to uh, reinforce this child's sense of gender nonconformity. Um, and all of this can happen without the knowledge of the parents. Uh, And it's intentional, and they even go so far as to say that they also need to talk to these gender non-conforming students about how to address siblings, right? So the family unit, which is supposed to be this unit of protection, and obviously there are abusive parents and there are families that are not healthy, but by and large, parents should be trusted. Uh, They even talk about how to refer to a student's uh, uh, siblings Uh, And to either draw the siblings into this plan of deception where the parents don't know what's going on at home or to deceive the siblings so that the siblings can't go home and tell. Um, So in chapter five, um, in these uh, guidelines, they say uh, you will discuss with the student how to refer to the student when communicating with the parents or caregivers, both in writing and verbally. So uh, we've talked about that. And I wanna point out that in California, um, students as young as 12 who are in the foster care system, Joshua, can be given even hormone therapy without the knowledge or consent of their caregivers. So talk about taking the most vulnerable children, the children who have already been betrayed by so many things. And now the people who are put over them to care for them in foster homes don't even have to know that they're starting cross-sex hormone therapy treatment. Um according to the laws of California, for one. Um, And so, and then it says, you need to determine how to refer to the student when communicating with the student's siblings. So it's right there. I'm just reading it off the page. Um, They are breaking down. They have become the moral arbiters in their minds of our children. And they are breaking down the sanctity of the family unit as the place where a child is... Uh, learns to trust, learns about truth, is socialized, they, they're intervening there. The only way that you get to have a say in what your child's upbringing is, is if you're going to do it the way that the school says that you should do it. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important because I, I know myself, so I hear stories like this on the news and I'm like, oh, okay, but does this really happen? you know, do people really implement this? And I had run across an article by Abigail Schreier, um, who the title of the article, I I really recommend it. Abigail has done tremendous reporting on this and I'll I'll say again, she's not a believer. you know, she certainly doesn't come from a a biblical worldview, but she is someone who's seeking to speak truth compassionately about all of this. And she wrote an article recently called Should Public Schools Be Allowed to Deceive Parents? Um, It was released on August 29th, if anyone wants to go find it. But she opens the article talking about Getting another call from a mother. And she has said in interviews that I've listened to before that she's talked, I think, to thousands of parents at this point. I I don't think it's any longer just in the hundreds of parents who um, have discovered that their schools have been implementing these plans. And so, in this particular article, I'll just focus in on this one mom. She had a 12 year old daughter who was going to middle school. Uh, unbeknownst to the mother, the daughter was uh, feeling gender dysphoric and went to a school counselor and said that they wanted to start uh, presenting as uh, as a male. And so the school implemented this gender support plan um, that, you know, they've, they've laid it out, they've structured it in these documents, so the school doesn't even have to think through how to do it anymore. They just pull up these documents. And they followed that uh, standard document that they had access to to um, help this child to transition at school, but the mom didn't know. The mom noticed that her daughter was getting more surly, more emotional. She was kind of um, withdrawing at home and was concerned. And so the mom actually went to the school to ask the teachers and to ask the administration, have you guys noticed? Anything that's going on with my daughter, it seems like she's really struggling. The school agreed to keep the mom in the dark. So none of the teachers, I mean, you think about middle school. So you have potentially four to six teachers. Mm. None of them referred to the daughter by her new name or her new pronouns. They all followed the guidelines, deceived the mom, knowing that the mom could tell that something was wrong with her daughter. No one informed her of what was going on for a year and a half, Joshua, until finally one teacher broke down and let this mom know that she was, her daughter was transitioning socially to male in school. So totally duped this mother. Um, and I, I think about that as a mom and it just makes me so angry. And you see this all over the place, Joshua, there's a, um, there's a, website that you can go to. It's called the Trevor Project. and they they taught themselves as a um, mental health hotline. So you can go on a smartphone and you can go to this website and um, you can get uh, you can get free counseling via chat or a phone call. And um, this uh, this uh, organization has um, counselors. Who, they get trained in gender support. So they have to go through like weeks and weeks and weeks of training. And then they're kind of shadowed. And then they become, they commit themselves to like one day a week being available by chat um, so that kids who are feeling gender dysphoric or feeling suicidal um, can contact the Trevor Project and get counseling. But what's bizarre to me is one, it's, it's all about gender support. So they they talk about suicidality, but it really has to do with kids who are feeling gender um, dysphoric. When you pull that website up on your phone, it immediately has this little splash screen that pops up. And it says, if you need to get out of this chat window quickly and have all of your, the memory of any place that you've gone cleared out of your phone, triple tap the screen. Okay so you triple tap the screen it clears out any evidence of the chat of the of the fact that you visited the website or anything so you just tap 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 you're not swiping you know so it it's built to hide this from parents now why if there is a kid who's feeling suicidal would you not want parents to know again barring the exception of students who are in abusive situations, but we're not talking about this. We're talking about kids who are in homes with parents who love them, but are not willing to affirm them in this gender ideology. So they are deemed unsafe. And so everything is being constructed around deceiving the parents and keeping the parents from knowing what's going on. But I wanna ask you, right? You have a child who transitions and realizes that they've made terrible mistakes Who's gonna be left supporting that student when they're no longer trans identifying? And when they realize that they shouldn't have had their breasts cut off or they shouldn't have gone on testosterone or they shouldn't have gone on puberty blockers. And when they don't have the whole framework of everyone who's hyping up gender ideology and they get left behind and actually handed a lot of vitriol because that's what happens. Who's left taking care of those kids? It's mom and dad. It's mom and dad, because generally that reality too, unless something simple has happened, that reality sticks to mom and dad are built to love and know their children from birth and to support them. And these schools um, and these organizations, and I'm gonna say it again, the National Education Association, the ACLU, the Human Rights Campaign, they all have their logos on this. They are all involved in breaking down family structure and making children less safe.
0: Okay, let's let's wrap this up and and, right. and 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 talk about parents, what can you do? Grandparents, what can you do? You find out that somebody in your family or in your church community is struggling with transgender thoughts. What should you do?
1: Okay. Well, I think before you even discover that someone's dealing with gender dysphoric thoughts, Joshua is just a couple of real simple things. From the moment that, um, you know, we have an infant baptized at church, or we bring children into our community, we are asked in our denomination to raise our hand as a vow that we will help with nurture and shepherding of those children that we will support these covenant kids as our families bring them up so part of that is prayer really honestly pray for our kids pray for your kids if you have them pray for the children in your church pray for the children in your community Um, pray for the parents who are raising them up so that's the first and the most important thing to do Next is speak truth to your children. there there's gender everywhere. We live in a world that was created by a masterful God who made distinctions. You don't even have to look to animals. Um, you can look at plants. There are male and female trees. When pumpkins are growing, and you go to the pumpkin patch because it's fall, you can show your kids that, a female flower has a little pumpkin attached to it already. A male flower is just on a stem and it's spreading pollen. There's gender everywhere and it's it's beautiful and it's real and it's productive and it's it's part of the beauty of the creation in which we live. And I think that we need from the just the youngest age to speak those truths to our kids and to remove those false binaries. So if you walk into a store, we, we have a new law that just got passed in California, Joshua, where... Department stores have to create um, large displays that are gender gender neutral of all kinds of toys that kids can have. And the the reason that this law was written, the guy who sponsored the law said that he had gone into, I don't know, Target or someplace with with his daughter. and, And she said, Dad, I'm just so sad that because I'm a girl, I can't go play with all those interesting toys over in the boys' section. And, like, so outside of California, most parents would be like, You can play with those toys. Like, let's go get you some Legos, like, whatever, you know. But so they've instituted this law that to make these toys available to children who, you know, so like break down those false binaries. They are very real binaries that we're given creationally that are good. But if your boy wants to play hopscotch, let your boy play hopscotch. Like if your daughter wants to gallop around and be a horse, let her be a horse. Like if, um, you know, we used to, we used to play war, you know, and like run around the neighborhood and throw like seed pods at each other. And it was boys and girls, you know, it's let, let your children have the beautiful Liberty and freedom that God has given us in the word. There are specific roles that are laid down for men and women, but there's so much Liberty too. So, I think that we can do that. I think my greatest bit of advice for if someone in our families or in our groups of friends uh, says that they are identifying as a different gender is to immediately, and and here I've been so angry and passionate during this podcast in particular, Joshua, but is to immediately have compassion. Because while what they're saying may not be true, I'm a boy trapped in a woman's body. There is a truth there that you know immediately. And that that is that this person is dealing with some type of real struggle and pain and they don't know what to do with it. And so we, unlike Mulan's mom and the book, we have truth. And I think um, immediately, Ask questions, (laughs) ask why they feel this way, ask what the influences are that are telling them this, know them and where you can lovingly speak truth. And when I say lovingly, I don't mean just affirm or just be nice, but where you lovingly can speak truth, speak truth, show concern, don't draw back in horror, pray for the person, talk to the person, have the person in your home. They may decide if you make a choice not to use those alternative pronouns, not to come spend time with you. And they may say that you're being hateful, but if you show consistent love, and openness, even when they're pushing you away and rejecting you, if you can consistently love them the way that the father loves us, even when we're lost in our trespasses and sins, I think that we can open up channels of communication where we can support these people when they are let down. Because when you go to battle with the truth, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. And our bodies are made to Exists in a world where there's bio, biological reality. And, and so all through their lives, their biology is going to fight against this ideology. And if you can be a loving, truth-speaking, supportive in the right ways, brother or sister in Christ, mom or dad, sibling, I think this is where we glorify God and where we minister to those who are hurting amongst us. I think that that's really important. I think this is worth speaking up to in churches. If we are in churches where we see that um, our churches and our congregations are being tempted towards following the easy path of going along with some of this ideology um, so that we don't get hit in the culture, we need to speak up to our churches lovingly and respectfully. We need to inform ourselves. I've talked before, also because we're dealing with schools, Joshua, about Join prayer groups for parents, find other believers in your community, whether you're in a public school, a Christian school, a homeschool co-op there, homeschoolers are getting hit by this stuff because it's everywhere. Like you said, it's in children's programming, find people you can pray for, find people you can pray with, find people who will be informed with you so that you can create like a fabric of loving gospel centered and oriented love and support where truth is spoken, it's spoken with compassion, and we all know that we're sinners and and in dire need of a Savior and the intervention of a Holy Spirit to to guide and lead us. I think those are the best things off the top of my head that we could possibly do.
0: Perfect. Yeah, I and I think going back for parents and even for pastors to just continue to hit on the importance of seeing two We're seeing, seeing uh, the beauty of creator and creation distinction and, and not letting up on that and letting the fact that the creator has informs our, our, our perspective of, of truth and knowledge and beauty and what is good. Uh, And, and that is, that is so absent. That is so absent in, in some of these things where it's, Mom and dad don't get to inform their children, the school does. Well, but that's, that's totally contrary to the way God framed things. Right. What does God do in the very beginning? He gives mom and dad, he gives, he gets, there's a marriage, and then, and then, and that is to be the structure for which information is then given to children, mm-hmm. mom and dad. And um, yeah, all that, all that has to be because of twoism, it's not yes. a one-a-system. And
1: yes. so and this is an opportunity to Joshua for, um, for speaking truth, even to the schools. Like, I, I think a lot of parents feel, you know, who, who are in the school system, just feel frustrated and shut out from everything if they aren't following along with this stuff. But, um, there are teachers who are willing to hear you. Uh, some of them won't, some of them are going to just think that you're batty, you know, um, but there are teachers who are willing to hear you, you know, you hear this document referred to like, if you feel uncomfortable, then just toe the line. Well, that means that they know that there are teachers out there who are uncomfortable with this. There are teachers who have questions about this. And it's um, I recently, I, I mentioned that last year, a student had, or a teacher had asked one of my children to use alternate pronouns for a student who was transitioning at school. And um I really wrestled with it uh, and finally decided I really, I needed to approach this teacher. And so I I wrote a letter to the teacher. Um, I tried to be very complimentary. She's a, she's a great teacher. We were so excited when we found out that our students were going to have her um, for the subject matter that she teaches. She's excellent, but I also knew that she's not a believer. And so I thought, man, she's just going to think I'm wacky, you know, and (laughs) you get, A lot of my hate mail, so you know what people think about (laughs) the things that I that I'm doing. But I I just didn't I don't want to make things awkward for my kids. But I was like, man, this is where the rubber meets the road, you know. So I wrote to this teacher and tried to really say, and I believe this is true. I wasn't making it up that that I really believed that she was coming from a place of concern for this student and really thought that she was doing the best thing. And then I presented some of the resources that I had. Um, about the reality of gender transition. And I also asked her to consider the fact that when she, as an authority, a teacher, that we were telling our children to respect and obey, asked the kids to use these new pronouns for this student, she took the choice out of their hands a little bit. She used her, her authority as teacher to cause them to do something that some of them felt was immoral. And she had never thought of that before. Like that side of it doesn't get presented. And suddenly she was kind of thinking of all her other students also in the situation that they had been put in, in this situation in her classroom. And she was very open. It's not like I walked away and now she's a Christian and right. you know, none of that, but it was an open conversation where some truth was shared. And I really would encourage parents to lovingly speak out Uh, to people in their schools that they know and have some relationship with because they can have effect uh, and they can do good and think of what that does for your kids too to see that you will go and that you will advocate for them and that you have important things to say that matter in this regard Um, i think that's important for our kids to see us do as well if we say it's important we need to treat it like it's important
0: by our behavior lovely well, thank you, Mary, for a lot of this, this, the insights on this and be sure to uh, join us next week as we'll have the whole team together. Yeah. And and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review so that other people can find this podcast. Remember, this is the unique podcast where we deal with worldview issues all through the lens of oneism and twoism.
1: Thanks, Joshua.
0: Thanks, Mary.